Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive and healer at karenhager.com. And for more Out of the Fog content and photos of Maisie the Puppy and jigsaw puzzles and maybe yarn even, follow Fog City Psychic on Instagram. Now then, grief can knock us flat. Everything changes in an instant. And the people around us, the people who love us, the people who want to understand, a lot of times they can't understand, don't understand what we're going through. My guest today is Karen Johnson, and her fast-paced life as a federal judge came to an abrupt halt when her son passed from an overdose. And instead of grieving in a way that made the people around her comfortable, Karen did the unexpected. She left her job of 30 years, sold her house with all her belongings, and went on a journey that took her all over the world. And what she discovered along the way was a healing and spiritual practice that she's here to share a little bit about with us today. She'll share some of what she learned and maybe help us discover how we can transform grief and loss to continue to move forward on our journey. Are you ready to meet her? Karen V. Johnson is a graduate of Georgetown Law Center with a JD, a former Fulbright Scholar in Afghanistan, and she holds master's degrees in public health and public and international affairs. Karen is a retired federal administrative law judge who practiced criminal and energy law for more than 30 years. She's also a former U.S. Army officer, a major in the U.S. Army inactive. Karen was personally trained by Alberto Viodo and is faculty at the Four Winds Society and a master practitioner of earth medicine. She's trained extensively in the techniques of illumination, soul retrieval, extractions of energies and entities, divination, and death rites. Her first book is Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief. You can find out more about Karen and her work at karenjohnson.net. Karen, welcome to Out of the Fog. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with you and all your listeners today. I'm very glad you're here. One of the things you say in the book that um, was moving to me that really resonated is grief is a state of being. You are not sick. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So in our culture, everything is um, fast got to move on, got to do quick, next thing, sound bites, all these things. And so um, even grief, if you take too long to grieve, it's actually, uh, and your grief is too severe, it's in the diagnostic and statistical manual as a <clears throat> something, a malady that needs to be um, diagnosed and it needs medication. And so my book is really looking at it in a very different way and saying, look, we don't have to get over it. We get through it and we get through it by going on a journey. And the journey is our own personal journey that's going to take as long as it takes. And, but rather than just wallowing in our grief and being stuck and not being able to move, which is a really, really heavy, heavy, heavy place to be. Um, my book is about taking this journey and going through 16 practices that allow you to um, actually move through grief, become unstuck, 
become lighter, and then create a new life out of the ashes of the old one that honors your loved one. Because that's what we really want to do. A lot of our being stuck in our grief is worried that our loved ones will see us um, looking like we're getting over it and they won't know how much we love them. And that's just not true. They know, on the other hand, how much we love them. And as we are stuck in our grief, we're kind of holding on to their kite string on the other side. They can't go off and do all the fantastic, wonderful things there are to do on the other side because they're kind of stuck to us and in, in our grieving, in our intense grief. So, so I'm hearing you say that as we grow and move forward, we're also helping energetically to free our loved ones in spirit? Yes, absolutely. So when people sign into my website, they get eight things spirits on the other side wish you knew. And one of the things that they wish you knew is that as you move on, they too can move on and do more than that that is open for them to do on the other side, work with ascended masters and all just all sorts of wonderful things. And I think the consequence of my journey with my son and his unexpected death from a heroin overdose, because he wasn't an addict, it was a party and a one-time kind of thing, and they gave him too much, and he died almost instantly. Mm-hmm. The one thing I learned is there really is life after death, and he has a fantastic life on the other side that I've been able to witness and see that he is happier on the other side than he is actually ever was here. And also it allows me to see that there actually is um, life on the other side and there's lots for them to do. It's not eternal sub slumber or anything like that. And they, they have many beautiful things they do. And so for us, it's a process of how do we become unstuck from our grieving? It took me a personal journey of two and a half years around the world Um, talking to religious leaders, Sufi masters, um, shamans, uh, John of God, all over the world to try to understand grief and loss. What is this about? How do we handle it? What am I, my question was, what am I supposed to do with myself? How am I supposed to go on? How is, how are we supposed to recover from the loss of a child? So the loss of anyone is 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 really hard if you have an unexpected loss or the loss of a child or the unexpected loss of a child that's even you know hitting all those buttons you're really in a bad bad place and it's very difficult and so the my the the journey that i want people to take is really a journey of um a spiritual journey where we sit I ask people to have a candle and paper and to be able to, a pen, and be able to write down the answers to questions about things like judgment. Who are you judging? Who's judging you? And you'd be surprised what comes out. And when you write them on little pieces of paper with the intention of taking them to the fire and And the fire is going to take your prayers to spirit, to God, to whoever you believe, um, to to release the judgments and open your heart to new ways of being. And so when we sit in ceremony in that way, if you want to call on your guides, your angels, God, spirit, sit until you're really still. Sit until you can hear the sound of your own heart and your own voice and 
begin to empty out your mind of judging, judging stories and stories of suffering, stories of that continue to repeat and repeat and repeat in your head. And getting them out on a piece of paper is so very healing and burning them with the intention to let them go. And we get out of our everyday brain. We get down out of our reptilian brain, fear, fight, flight, that kind of brain. And we move up to our neocortex. And the neocortex is the brain of ceremony. <clears throat> and at the level of ceremony, then we get there when we go into churches, temples, um, we begin chanting, we, we begin to be able to move things in a different way. Things are much lighter. It's, they move like feathers blowing in the wind instead of at the, at the um, level of serpent where we're dragging things along in the physical realm, trying to make things happen. And a lot of books will talk about, um, teach you, okay, now it's time for you to um, go to a movie. And then it's the next time it's time for you to go on a date if you're lost to your loved one. Um, all the things that you can do in the practical world to try to move your grief. But with many people, it just doesn't work. And people say, I don't know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I can't do those things. I can't do those things. And so <clears throat> my book is a way of tuning into where are you stuck? We're all stuck somewhere else, somewhere different. It might be the stories we're telling ourselves. It might be the judgments. I know that I found out to my surprise, I was really judging my son. I was really mad at him. Like that wasn't supposed to happen. And what a dumb thing for you to do. And, mm -hmm. and to get in touch with that in, in an honest way and, and release that, even that anger at him and frustration, anger at myself. Oh my gosh, don't we all carry that? I should have done this. I could have done that. I, I should have seen it. I didn't see it. Right. So all those things that we're carrying that make us suffer so much to be able to take them to ceremony and release them is so healing. And, and it's a way of, it creates a threshold between yeah. our physical reality, yes. what we're going through, right? Uh, I'm going through boxes. I'm cleaning out the closet. I'm, it creates a threshold between that physical reality or I can't get out of bed. Right. And it creates that threshold between whatever the physical reality is and opening up to the processes maybe of healing and awakening and release that are already happening in us. We just get mm, tunnel vision, I feel like sometimes. And just speaking from my own experience, we can get so stuck ourselves, not even stuck in the grief process, but stuck ourselves. I have to hang on to this. If I don't hang on to this, I'll forget that we forget all that life that's happening under the surface, underneath the physical. Yes. Oh, for sure. And I think we kind of get a little inkling of that when we step into um, a church or a temple and they have candles you can light. And even if we're not of that faith, we kind of instinctively go and light the candle and say prayers. And it, we feel that when we enter in a church or a sacred space, we just feel that different way of being, of thinking, we become still. And so that's the place we want to be in when we do these exercises so that we are really in our ceremonial brain. We're in that place of stillness, of contemplation. Like you say, that threshold between the physical realm and the um, non-material realm. In the, the subtitle of the book says using energy medicine to alchemize grief. What is energy medicine to you? 
Mm-hmm. Energy medicine really to me is anything where we're working in the quantum field. So if you look at quantum physics and you look at waves and particles and and field states, and so it's that place where we're really that equation E equals MC squared. So shamans, so I'm trained as a shaman, um, dance on the equal sign. So mm-hmm. we go between the realms of energy and matter all the time in journeying, we journey to the past, we journey to the future, we work in the present. So shamans and and anyone who's doing um, healing work, really, it, it's not, we know that it's not us that's healing. We know that the healing is coming through us from spirit. And so we're working in this quantum field all the time in the world of of energy so that that's what energy work means to me um and so energy medicine as i've described in the book is based on the four winds um medicine wheel so um, i trained with dr alberto viodo and the four winds society and so we begin with the south direction of the medicine wheel then we go to the west and the north and the east in my book and there's four exercises that are associated with each direction so the south direction is the direction of serpent and the serpent sheds the past and we want to shed our past the way the serpent sheds her skin and so we begin with that direction of the serpent and shedding, shedding, shedding with non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment and doing those exercises. <clears throat> then we move to the West direction. That's the direction of Jaguar. So this is the medicine wheel based on Indian, uh, from the Andes, from Peruvian um, medicine wheel. So in the Southern hemisphere, the Southern cross is the um the basis and not the northern star so it begins in the south direction so each direction has its own energy it has its own archetypal power animal and it has its own four practices that many people are familiar with uh, buddhist practices christian any any religion really have maybe have heard of these and 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 talk about these in different ways non-doing oh my gosh in the net west direction this is where we're becoming lighter and we start to look at the places where we <clears throat> um, keep ourselves so busy 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 all the time that we really never have time to sit with our own thoughts. We don't want to confront uncomfortable emotions or thoughts. And so we avoid them by being busy. And so what if we take a few moments just to be still, to sit Mm. in stillness and be able to put those thoughts down on paper, those uncomfortable thoughts. There's a feeling when you were talking about writing things down on paper and releasing them, I could feel that little, that feeling of how freeing it is. Mm-hmm. to watch it go the idea that your that your prayers go up right in the smoke yeah. but it also that idea of writing things on the paper and then um light putting the setting the paper on fire is also a reminder of how matter changes right yeah. how matter changes to energy how we mm, how we can be catalysts for change and that's different from a lot of times in grief and loss it feels like this is the thing that happened to us And it helps to me shift that energy from this is what happened to me to this is how I'm transmuting that in the world. And maybe that's where we get to the alchemy part 
of yeah. what you're writing. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and it's, it's a process. And once you step into the process and you realize there is a process and it's a journey and you're on this journey of really self-discovery um, everything changes. So you're not, you're creating new neural networks. You're not stuck in um, digging deeper and deeper sadness and despair and hopelessness. You begin to dig new, new neural networks of hope and possibilities and change and beginning to create something that honors your loved one. And that was really, I think the most important thing that came out of all of it for me was how can I turn this into something that honors Ben. And so writing the book really came out of that. And, and then being able to be on podcasts, talk to people and have a website devoted to helping people who are grieving um, is my way of giving back of my way of saying, Hey, Ben, you know, I love you. And, and I'm doing this in, in your honor and to help others. And I think that's, helping others is really always the way to personal growth, I think. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Karen Johnson. Her new book is Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And you can find out more about Karen and her work at karenjohnson.net. That's karenjohnson.net. For as you reach out and talk to people and teach and travel and continue your own journey. What are some of the things that you wish other people understood about people who are grieving? Because we, uh, we, I'll speak for myself. I say the wrong thing all the time, reliably say the wrong thing and get awkward and feel scared and avoid and all that stuff. What would you like people to know about connecting with someone they love who's grieving? I think the person that affected me the most and gave me the best, modeled the best kind of behavior, someone who just came and sat, a friend of mine. She didn't have any platitudes. She just sat with me. She got a couple of, of tea if I needed it, but didn't offer. I think so often people say things, oh, they're in a better place. Um, <laughs> they're just things over and over again that, I think drive the bereaved kind of mad. Mm. So I mean, I got to the point where I thought if one more person says that, I swear I'm going to stand up. I'm going to scream the house down because I wanted to say, well, I'm not in a better place. Yeah, great. He's in a better place. And, but I'm not. And I'm really kind of angry that he's in that better place. This is not what was supposed to be happening in my life either. So, so I think the things that we say, um, just just sometimes just come off in, a, in the wrong way. And so maybe better just to say nothing, just to be. And maybe say something like, are there, is there anything you'd like me to pick up for you at the drugstore? Is mm. there anything I'd like, you'd like me to pick up for you at the grocery store? Is there anything you'd like me to do? Is there anything I can, can I mail a letter? Can I pay a bill? Can I do something for you? Anything, what can I do? Would you like company um, to go to the funeral home and pick out the urn? Would you like, what can I do? How can I serve you? And just that's, help people to talk, you know. That's beautiful and it helps. It That creates change for the person who is witnessing someone else's grief too. Yeah. Because it takes us from that place of I'm, I don't know what to do and I'm going to say the wrong thing and I just messed it up 
to, okay, here I can offer something that might on the practical level, at least make a difference, or maybe I can offer to pray for the person who passed, right? Making a difference on the, on the energetic level. Um, Jan Warner, who wrote the excellent book, um, Grief Day by Day, um, told me once that when people said, um, it's all good, not meaning anything about her situation or anything, but that the phrase it's all good would enrage her because yeah. clearly it's not all good. And it would, I've been with her when someone said that, and I, it was like watching someone go up in flames. And, and so that just, it sounds like you relate to that. Right. Right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Another, you know, another thing that I think I've talked to so many bereaved people and we all have this sort of like bereaved kind of conspiracy on this one. It's like people come and they dump huge casseroles, like for <laughs> an army, right? And cakes and muffins and donuts and not to be ungrateful, but, uh, you know, it would be great if somebody would like put it a small, divide it up into Tupperware and put it in the freezer mm-hmm. because otherwise we have all this too. And it's like more pressure. What am I going to do with this? This is such a waste. What do I do with it? And so, so even that just sort of like tone it down on that or, 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 or bring your Tupperware and Tupperware it up or come back in a day or two and clean out the fridge and make room for the next onslaught because nobody can possibly eat that many casseroles or cakes. <laughs> Low though it looked like it was delicious and I might want to try it. Just it was not possible. Um, when, as, as we look at the world as it is today, where there is, it feels to me, fear and loss and grief everywhere, oozing yeah. out of every, every place. How can some of the the mindfulness tips and the exercises and the wisdom you share in the book, how can we apply that to the other things that we're grieving, the other losses that we have, the, the fear that might keep us stuck? You know, these exercises can apply to anything, divorce, losing a partner, losing a business, just just general fear of the world, because many times what keeps us in anxiety and panic is we don't really know exactly what it is. What is that thing that's really hooking us? Where is that thing that really is giving us the most trouble? And so if you can sit and work through these um, practices, even if it's not They seem to be tailored toward grief and loss, but even if it's for whatever, and I often do that for my clients, I have them go through these practices to find out what is really eating you, what is really hooking you, and being able to sit quietly, and I love to have people know that they can be radically honest, because everything you write down is going to be burned. So you don't have to worry about somebody finding your journal and getting upset and Maybe you're mad at your mother, your sister, your brother, your relations, the doctors, the the your your sister, your best friend, all these people that have come into our lives, we can with radical honesty put things down on pieces of paper about their judgments, your judgments, stories about suffering, stories about attachments and and um and begin to work with them and release them in a, in a ceremonial way, instead of, you know, we carry a lot going around in our head. It's kind of rattling around there. Many thoughts, many thoughts. And if you think of how many thoughts you have during an hour, thinking about this, worrying about that, when you begin to be able to write it all down and put it on a piece of paper 
with the intention of releasing it, releasing the heaviness of it, things begin to shift because the carrying around of all that is really, really heavy. And allowing it to go and giving it to spirit, to God, to the universe, to the collective consciousness, whatever your belief system is, is such a relief. And it takes a little bit to get there, but it's so worth it. How can we, instead of that idea of get over it, um, right, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's been an hour already, what are you still grieving? How can we um, kind of ride that energy of grief and loss through that journey, across that threshold, to build a new life for ourselves after the event, whatever that is, whatever the loss is, that helps us be more resilient, be stronger, and and be kinder to ourselves. How can we do that? Because it feels to me like a lot of this journey we do alone, or or we feel like we're doing it alone. Yeah, for sure. And our, our culture doesn't really help us. And people do begin to shy away from you. Um, it's sort of like your pariah. Oh, here we are. The sad and the miserable is coming in the door. Mm. <laughs> so we know, we understand that um, other changes, big transitions in life are have a lot of energy. So when we become, when we get married, that's a life-changing uh, event that has a lot of energy for change. Becoming a parent, so many things in life have that great energy. We don't realize the energy behind our grief. Um, in the Lakota tradition, people who are grieving are considered um, sacred. They're closer to spirit. But in the general um, Western mentality, we don't even think about that. We think about them as just being full of sadness, grief, and despair. And we want to stay away from that because we also mostly have a fear of dying and death. And if we really look at what so keeps us so uncomfortable about people who are mourning is that, yes, they are closer to death. They just experienced the death of someone. And we mostly want to back off from that. So for me, the experience of, I saw my son, he came to me after he passed, just as if he were um, alive. And I could feel him hovering around. And I eventually went to a medium and I had a wonderful experience. And that led me to this really opening of a door where before this happened, I would have said, alive is alive, dead is dead. I don't believe there's anything on the other side. After that, I saw that there really is life after death. And what a beautiful experience that was because it allowed me to see and not fear death. Many of us really, really, what's beneath all of our um, kind of shying away from people who are mourning is our fear of death. And so that's something else to think about too, is, is there really more on the other side? And, and many people who are grieving also are experiencing that on the other side. They're experiencing the visit of their loved ones, they're afraid to talk about it. They don't want people to think that we're they're crazy. And so that's another thing that I think, um, I like to say I'm outing all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to out all that and say, yeah, I had that frankly, freakly experience too, as many of us do. And, and our loved ones are there and they're 
they visit us and people sometimes say to me, well, if they've transitioned and they fully transition and they're in heaven or wherever you believe them to be, then how can they be here too? And my answer is always, well, it's not prison over there. <laughs> to come and go. <laughs> and, so, and so they do. Yes, there are spirits that get trapped in between realms. And that's a, something that I work with a lot. Um, but, but also they come visit us and that's fine too. Well, and that this is about what you're talking about feels to me like opening the idea that what we call life and what we call death is more of a continuum than it is a, like things to check off a box on a to-do list, to do, be born, to do, die, to do, go on to the next thing, that it's more of a continuum. So my own feeling and the way my guides have talked to me about people who pass is that there are many different ways that we can be present for each other, no matter what the state of our physical body is or the state of our spirit is. And so at least to me in my wacky world, it makes perfect sense that someone can be completely crossed, completely in the light and still be able to pop in to see how I'm doing. Yes. Just as I can be sitting quietly in my office and at the same time be connecting with them. It's yeah. a continuum of experience. There's more dimensions there than yes. we let ourselves see. Right. And so if accepting that proposition that they can pop in and check on us and they pop in and check on us and we're stuck in a grief and loss and we've turned our loved one's room into a shrine and and we've completely isolated ourselves and as many people do because we know we make people uncomfortable then you could see where they too are not able to fully experience what they need to experience or want to experience or what's open for them on the other side. And so you see how we might hold on to their kite string a little bit, because I felt that with my son as I was in extreme grief and loss. And look, I had an extreme case. I sold my house, my um, car, everything, gave things away. And I went on a two and a half year journey around the world because I was grieving so heavily and retired from my job. I mean, I left everything um, behind. And so I totally... I totally get that, you know, where it's, it's just too much. It's just too heavy um, to bear. And so I think what really helped me, and I was really guided through this process of, and downloaded this journey of the bereaved um, and how we can actually change from being profoundly stuck to getting lighter and awakening and eventually creating a new life out of the ashes of the old one. And, and I think if we have that perspective that it is possible, I didn't know it was possible. I just didn't get it at all. But I think in most, a lot of people don't get it. They can't see any way beyond being completely and profoundly stuck mm. and changing that perspective a little and saying, Hey, this is a journey. And not only is it a journey for you, that's going to free you. It's going to free your loved one. Wow. What about that? And so people are more willing to say, okay, then, right? I can do that because we're judged so harshly in this society too. I mean, you, there's no win. If you 
grieve too long and too hard, they say, oh, she's really not doing well. She needs medication. If you don't grieve long enough, according to somebody, oh, that didn't seem to affect her much. <laughs> so, you, so you might as well give up on, on satisfying people. And there's always this, you know, this concept of the widow wearing black for the rest of her life and, and um, you know, having the shrine in your house and somehow that that's, that's honored as being, you know, oh, a great way to be. But what if it's not? What if it's, what if we need to bring more joy into it? What if we need to honor our loved ones in their life after death? Karen, how can listeners get their hands on the book? How can they find out more about the work you're doing in the world? Yeah, so Amazon um, in the Hay House. So I'm a Hay House author. Uh, my book's on there. It's Living Grieving, and you can find it using my name, Karen Johnson. And also on my website, there's a, you can click on it and you'll, you'll be taken right to, I think it's, you're taken to Amazon from there. So. And you said there's something on your site, the eight things, say that again about the eight things people on the other side yeah. want us to know. The eight things spirits on the side, on the other side, wish you knew. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And so, and then you get my newsletter and you find out all my events and get to see the podcasts that I've done. And I also have uh, classes that I teach. So I take people on a five week journey through my book, through all the directions and through exercises in community. So we do it on zoom. Mm. And so people can see other people and, and talk about things and talk about their grieving and talk about their exercises. Oh, judging and how that, what they wrote down. And somebody else says, Oh my gosh, I should have put that down too. I'm going to go burn some more pieces of paper, <laughs> you know? And it's so fantastic because um, then people have a community of grievers who are changing their perspective and their way of grieving. Karen, thank you so much for talking with us. It's that piece about not being alone is so important. Yeah, um, for sure. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been talking with Karen Johnson. Her new book is Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And you can find out more about Karen and her work at karenjohnson.net. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events like the online Meet Your Guides class that's coming up on October 10th. And there's a ton of other stuff happening always. And you can follow me on Instagram where I'm Fog City Psychic. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace.